Let's stand to our feet and welcome our founding senior pastor, Pastor Mike, as he comes and brings the word of God with us this morning. Oh, it's great to be home. It's lovely to have a home to come to. <laughs> and we uh, just love being amongst you people too. But we just had the most impacting two weeks uh, in Israel. We actually attended a school, a school of ministry, which was different from just the usual or some of the tours that people have. Because we got totally immersed in a, in a Christian community there. And that was hugely impacting. And they had lectures and teachings in the community centre. And they took us out to many places in Galilee and Jerusalem and meaningful places all over the country where Jesus had been. And we had teachings on the spot, like up in the Mount Carmel where Elijah was up there confronting the, um, the uh, prophets of Baal. And then we're up praying over Lebanon and praying over Syria borders. And then we're in places where the actual gates of hell, there's actually a place, it's called the gates of hell, where they confronted, do you really know who I am? And he talked about the gates of hell, which is actually a place. And it's a place where there's a worship of a lot of other gods. We were in the Dead Sea, floating in the Dead Sea. and We saw the Dead Sea Scrolls. We... Um, had a te- we went across Galilee on a boat and they're teaching by the side of the lake about the restoration of Peter, sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane. And just places like that, in each of these places, there is really meaningful, impacting teachings. But I don't really want to go into that this morning. I think what I really want to share with you was the community that we became part of because that was hugely impacting, um, particularly what God has done in the lives of people and is still doing in the lives of people who would just open themselves to the Lord. There's um, two significant people. First of all, there's a guy called David, um, David, David Davis. Davis. Now, David Davis was a, um, a, a film producer, an actor in, in, New, in New York, grew up there. He was a PhD. He had people like Denzel Washington as his students. Amazing, talented man, incredibly talented man. But all these guys are in the same era as us. Come yeah. in the 60s. They were lost. There was a drug era. There was the, you know, the sex thing. There was just a, a, a season where many, many people were totally lost. And he came to a place of realising that he was an alcoholic, he was a womaniser, he was addicted to pornography. He was just a mess in his personal life, even though he was an incredible lecturer at university. And then he met this woman, um, Karen. And she was a very talented musician, and she was actually a Jew. But she was a model and doing a modelling career and working in the top music industry. And, um, but there's a, another a person in her field who was praying for her, praying for her, praying for her, praying for her. And again, she became more aware how empty and broken her life was. And eventually she knocked on this lady's door and said, what is it you've got? And both these people were radically saved, impacted by the love of God, just your lives just totally transformed, you know. God can take people broken and impact them with the love of God. So they were led. And then they became involved in David Wilkinson's ministry. Uh, yeah, I know that, you know, the cross and the switchblade and that. When they got saved, they became part of that whole ministry and were serving there and working there with David Wilkinson with all the drug rehabilitation people. So they had several years serving there. But eventually the Lord sent this couple over to Israel. And they set up near a, a drug rehabilitation place. And they became co-founders of, of, of a community there. Later they were added, two other, another couple joined them. A guy, Peter Takashim. 
What's his name? Tsukuhiro. Tsukuhiro. He's a Japanese guy, again, a very intelligent guy, and his, and his Jewish wife. Now, his Jewish wife, Rita, she was hitchhiking through Mexico, and she got saved in the 60s, you know? These people are lost. Very powerful woman, but again, impacted by people who picked her up hitchhiking in Mexico, and she got radically saved. And then her boyfriend at the time, Peter, well, he was a lost soul. His, his best mate had been died of a drug overdose, and he was just totally shattered. He even changed his name and decided he was just out of this wealth sort of thing. But when he saw the change in Rita, his wife, he, he just couldn't believe it. And eventually the two of them got powerfully saved. And they both came together and joined one another. And when you get couples that God brings together and they work together and they yes, build a community, it's so, so powerful. And this is like yeah. 30 years ago. And when they started this church, they had missiles. They had to get into their bunkers and things. It was the time of the Gulf War. They were facing physical warfare and spiritual warfare like nothing we've ever seen. But what was so beautiful was to be immersed in what they've built. To me, it's like a church that God is really on. There's no superstars. Everybody honors one another's gifts. Now, David's this creative, clever man who has built this whole drug um, rehabilitation place. His wife has got the music ministry and runs creative schools, the most talented musician, beautiful woman, and a beautiful ministry of music. Peter's a brilliant teacher. He makes it so clear and insightful and just opens up the word and his teaching gift. He runs a, a training school on the site and then this ministry training school twice a year. We had 120 in our school from nine different nations and we're there for this two-week school. But he runs those and also does the teaching and training in the centre. And then his wife, she came alive when they got approached by the government saying, look, this Sudanese woman here who need looking after. They're a traumatised woman. And they put their hand up and said, we'll do something. So here's a Jewish-American lady, and now she's suddenly got Sudanese woman to look after but she put her hand up. She said, I haven't got a clue what to do. And they built a shelter for these Sudanese women. These are traumatized. These women screamed when men came near them. But the heart of Rita for these people and what she built, and that, her giftings have just emerged running this woman's shelter. So you've got different giftings, and they've come together. And the whole place is just filled with the love of God, tremendous gratitude for when we've encountered the Father's heart of God and we carry that love. It just changes your life. You can't ever forget it. And we're called to carry it and give it away. And that's what they do in the center. The atmosphere of love and joy and gratitude and, and just a community flowing together was just to be part of that. And that's what God's doing here. You know, superstars, no titles, no big deals. We're all called by God. We're all gifted. We've all got a role to play. We just got to learn to flow together. Just acknowledge Very one good. another. Make room for Very one good. another. And then God added to them. God added to them. And I think what impacted me most was some of the people we met that God added to them. The guy that was our cook, he was a chef. He had 27 years as a heroin addict. 27 years as a heroin addict on the streets of um, Tel Aviv. Now, there's, Jerusalem's the biggest city. Then there's Tel Aviv. And then there's um, Haifa. We're in Haifa. But the drug problem in Jerusalem is huge. And this man, after 27 years as a heroin addict, these people carrying the love of God, mm. bringing the love of God to them, just loving on them. 
And he's, it was in 2010, he was, he was gathered up. And he's now got his, his career back as a chef. He's got a life partner. And he was flowing in amongst the community, cooking for our conference. Isn't it amazing to meet people like this? It was just so impacting to, to realize what God's done. I think the verse that um, I thought was most impacting, in Jeremiah 31.3, it says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Mm. God's love is everlasting. Yeah. His love for Jerusalem, Israel is everlasting. He's not forsaken his people. His love is an everlasting love. And he says, it's with loving kindness I've drawn you. And people are being drawn and drawn and drawn with the love of God. Yeah, it's right. his love that's drawing them. And that is loving on whoever God brings across their path. They've loved on these Sudanese women in the women's shelter. They've loved on these drug addicts. And they've got all these ministries now that have come out of this centre that has been established on Mount Carmel. Some of the people we met are just, um, just incredible. Um, like there's a new covenant church. This I found was very impacting. They're also friends with other churches in their community. Now, this new covenant church is an Arab church. And these people that pastor the church, they, um, they were um, evicted from their whole community when they were 18, 19, evicted from their family when they became Christians, but now they've planted a, an Arab church there. And it's a most amazing church because the people they work and serve have got no money, but God has just come through for them. And David and Peter just loved on them. First, they made their, they've got a clothing shelter. They had their first church in this closet clothing shelter place. And then they took them to their own center and they provided transport for them. And eventually God gave them their own facilities. And now they've got this church for Arab people. But the interesting thing is what they're called to do right now, all these Muslims coming into Europe, They've been over there, like in Norway, there are 400 refugees, and the people there can look after them and feed them, but they can't speak their language. They don't know how to bring them to the Lord. So they've been over there for a week, got 70 of them saved and baptized because they're Arabs, and they know how to communicate with them. Isn't that amazing? So all they need is the money to get over to Europe, and they can reach out to all these people. And they said, you've got like a two- or three-year window. When these people first arrive in a new country like that, that's when the God can come around their lives. And they see this window, two or three-year wisdom, and they're in to get these people saved and established in the Lord. It's powerful. And then, of course, the media is the next way they reach out. And they reach one and a half million Arabs on a, on a TV Jews. station. Yeah. Jews. Huh? Jews. Jews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So they've established things in, in this community. Another lady who's... Um, a relative was involved with the army. In the army, in Israel, everybody goes in the army, girls and guys at 18. The girls have two years in the army and the guys have three. So all these young people in the army and closely, you know, sitting there all hours over the borders. And the relative said, why don't you make some biscuits for these army people? Oh, yeah. So she's got a whole ministry baking biscuits and giving it to these army people, loving on them, just finding something to do, loving on them. Yeah. And these army people are being saved because yeah. they're being loved on by... Christian, you just found something to do. And we just kept meeting people. Young couple, I was looking at Michigan up there, young couple about his age, they go out on the streets and they meet the Jews and they say, there's a forbidden chapter for a lot of the Jews, Isaiah 53. A lot of them are forbidden to have that one. So they get these Jews in the streets and they show them Isaiah 53 and say, who do you think this is they're talking about? You know? And the people realise after a while, it's Jesus. And they're bringing the bringing the good news to people in the streets and they're videoing it all and they're putting it on Facebook and they're reaching a huge 
number of people for the Edmund ministry that the Lord's just opened up. Just a couple of young guys with video cameras in the street. It's just these people we met just found so impacting. Um, the, 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 uh, the House of Victory is the, um, uh, the centre for the drugs, the women's shelter, New Covenant Church, these Arab churches, young boys, and other Ukraine. There are a million Ukraine people came to Israel when the Ukraine borders came down. And actually our church was part of that. But we went to church on Sunday two weeks ago, and there were four different languages in the church. There was Russian, Hebrew, English, and Arabic. And all these people, the worship team, are made up of Arabs and Jews and everybody flowing together, one new man in yeah, Christ. wonderful. And we were all in there worshipping, doing big yeah. chains of dancing across the stage. We were with these wonderful people, all brought together from so many different nationalities, flowing together, one man in Christ. It's just impacting. And a lot of people going to Israel don't have these experiences to meet the local believers and uh, share church with them. And they don't call it church. Church and Christians are offensive names to a lot of Jews because they've been so wounded by Christians over the years. So it's a fellowship. But it's the love and the flowing together and the sharing of one another. It's just beautiful. So we met you know, Pastor Vladimir Bear from a big um, Ukraine church and um, the clothing centre. And, of course, up in this community is another isolated group of people called the Druze. I hadn't even heard of the Druze, but they're Arabs, but they're... They serve in the army and they're another unreached people group. But wherever that God's planted them and whatever comes across there, that the Lord opens a door for them. They've just come in and loved on people. And it's the loving kindness of God that's yeah. just bringing so many people to the Lord. When they went there, there's, I think, 50 believers in the area. Now I think there's 15,000. You know, God is bringing people back from all these nations. And the Lord's opening their eyes to who Jesus is, who Yeshua is. It's the most amazing thing to be part of. And I thought, this is what God's on today in our community. God's going to open all sorts of opportunities. Churches where we come to get equipped, to worship, to train, pumped up, and then go out with the love of God because he's changed us. And he can change others' lives. And it's the love of God that will change them. Tell me about the young guy in the army. What happened to him? How he ended up leading lots of the Lord. <laughs> I'm on so much overload of impact, I can hardly filter out, you know, what God's really been saying and impacting. It's just the whole thing was so incredibly impacting. That's people's lives that really impact me. People that are broken, lost, and someone loves on them or prays for them. And then the love of God, I mean, the Muslims don't know anything about the Father heart of God. They haven't experienced that. Even people, and, and the whole place is full of New Age, Baha'i, every religious groups there, but they, they might get tranquility, but they don't experience the love of God. They don't know a father's love, but we've got the father's love yes. in us, yes. and our job is to carry it and love on this community. I'm so excited about what we're doing, and it's just right on what God's doing all over the world, and the, the method is love, just carrying the love of God, and letting the power of God and the love of God transform lives. Absolutely. Just say that. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Just amazing. So much we come back with. It's hard to process it all or even know just how much you want to share. Uh, but I want to share one aspect of it uh, that just as will relate to us. And uh, there are many other aspects that hopefully will have time to think and process that I'll put together and teach in a way that you'll be encouraged by what God is doing. 
But uh, going into the country, we made a decision. I didn't really want to go as a tourist. That's why we didn't go for such a long time. Even though people said, you should go, you should go. But I just didn't have a, a touristy thing in me on it at all. We kind of lived for something higher than that. But when this opportunity came and I was preaching uh, at a conference in San Jose, and the other speaker was a guy who ran this ministry school. And I felt, now that is us. So the goal was to go there and immerse with the people and the culture and get God's perspective before we went out and as we went out into the different places. Otherwise, you just go to a lot of religious sites and historical sites and you don't catch the magnificence of God's plan and the promises of God are being fulfilled in this very hour. It's unbelievably inspiring. But in the midst of it, you know, you, you, we found it get overload because there's so much to take in. Uh, I think the first thing I sensed as I came in and felt there was the feeling this is such a small country and you could feel in the, in the atmosphere the hostility of all the neighboring countries. It was the first thing I become aware of that we're living in a country where everyone around them wants to kill them all. It's hard to comprehend when you live in a nation like New Zealand what it's like to live in a country where everyone around you is actually out to get you. And they've made it clear, for example, the, the, the uh, one group there who's made it their purpose for existence is to destroy all of Israel. That's the purpose. Their only purpose for existence is to kill the nation, every Jew. And they say publicly, we're glad you've all come back. There's more of, a, more of you for us to kill. So it's hard when you read the media to really catch what's going on. You actually have to be in the culture like some of our church members have done and to catch the biblical perspective, or you read a biased media. And Israel's a very small country, and yet it's the center of spiritual conflict of the world, and there's a reason for that. And all that's happening over there can never be solved by politicians, can't be solved by the army. It can only be solved spiritually, because the problem is spiritual. At some stage I'll talk about its roots and, and just what's happening, so that we get a bigger perspective of how exciting it is to be in a day where prophecy is being fulfilled. And uh, I want to touch into that aspect of it because I think that has great significance for us as a church, not only where we've been, but where we're going. And uh, so one, one thing I felt was that. Then going into the worship, I noticed that they one, uh, in the worship is different. They do a lot of songs in minors and Israeli sort of stuff. And, uh, but one of the things I noticed was the extensive use of singing scripture. I have not been exposed to that much singing of scripture since the uh, days, early days of David Nail Garrett. And, but they sang the scripture. And, they, and, and many of the scriptures, I, I couldn't help but also notice how militant they are. Like, you know, the Lord is for us. Who can be against us? Well, I mean, we sing the song, but they're living in a nation which... Live, they live in threat of their lives all the time. Like they thanked us for coming because a lot of the tourists have stopped coming because of the stabbings there. Every day someone is being stabbed, someone's being killed somewhere in the streets of Jerusalem. So there's a military presence everywhere. Young teenagers, you know, young girls carrying fully automated weapons everywhere they go. Uh, you see the strong military presence and you're, you're aware that this is a nation that's on the edge. And as they said, if we, wait, if we make a mistake and lose, for us, our existence is over. We can't afford to lose any war. 
And so it's quite interesting to be in the culture that, and then in the church, the songs are incredibly militant. They're taken from Scripture, speaking of the Lord, being the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. The Lord is with us. God will protect us. He that shelters under the shadow of the Most High. You know, be safe from the arrow that flies by day. And, and of course, these days that refers to missiles. And uh, we, we were shown at one place where uh, when uh, Saddam Hussein attacked them, they deliberately targeted the oil refineries and chemical uh, refineries so they could set off a, an explosion that would destroy all of Haifa, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. So there's that sort of environment and, and, of course, you get a lot of people come and they're very religious -y and it gets very religious. So you can go crazy with the religious side of it. But if you can just get biblically established on what's going, it just really does shift your perspective on it. And that's kind of the area I, I want to sort of pick up. So we, it was interesting sitting in place, like to go to a place where Jesus had stood and taught his disciples to, to, to ascend the steps of the temple where Jesus would have walked up there and, uh, and then his comments related to the temple and uh, then songs that we sang, many of the songs were prophetic. You know, Jesus said, uh, you know, this, your temple is left to you desolate until the day that you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And so we prophesied or sang. One of the songs that they got everyone singing was Baruch Ababa Shem Hadonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and so the, you find the significance of what we're doing is far more heightened because you're living in the land where these things were written, where they happened, and where eventually, ultimately, they come to fulfillment. So I want to just speak, in, and particularly on, uh, just on one area, I'm not going to use many verses, I just want to lay something out on, and, and the message I want to share is fulfill your calling. I noticed prophetically this morning, a couple of songs come out about God is calling you. In, in, Math, in Mark chapter 1 uh, and verse 17, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Follow me. Everyone is following something. You are following something. Or you're following someone. People follow the crowd. People follow the influence of society. They follow the latest fad. They follow the flesh. They follow. Everyone is following something. And Jesus calls out an invitation to each of us, follow me. And uh, you can be very offended by the things that people do. You can be very upset by the dramas that happen around the people of God and uh, in leadership, in, in, in church, in the, in the city, in the nation. But Jesus said, follow me. Keep your eyes on me. Make following me the pursuit of your life. And I will cause you to become a fisher of men. So the outcome of following Jesus is always going to be representing him to people by loving them ministering to them and helping them both supernaturally and in very, very practical ways. In fact, the, the, the name church, we say we come to church. But actually the word church, ecclesia, means the called out ones. Those who are called to abandon the value system and the ways of the world and to embrace a different culture and a purpose for living. And that's what you're called. When, when, you, when Jesus uh, reaches out to us, he calls us. I'm going to just talk a little bit about that. I just want to focus on you being a called person and the importance of understanding that calling on your life. And God not only calls us individually, he calls us as a church. And uh, so uh, church is really a group of people who have responded to the call of God, said, yes, I recognize Jesus is calling me, and they begin by making the decision to invite Christ to become the center of their life. But that's not, it doesn't stop there. 
You know, we're called. Israel was called. Jesus, God called them out of Egypt, and he said, I've called you to myself, that you might be to me a special people where I can manifest my kingdom on the earth. And God's plan to do this has never, never changed. But when you look at Israel, you see the horrendous and dramatic consequences if you don't follow the call of God. So when you look at Israel and you look at, I think probably the thing that, oh dearly, it really impacted me because we, we went into the Holocaust Museum and it's got the very, very well creatively presented history of the persecution of the Jews during the century. And, and they take us in there to help us understand the consequences in the Bible of Israel walking away from God and rejecting him. And God said to him, I will scatter you among the nations, and this is what they will do to you. And then you go in there and you look at the Holocaust Museum, not from the point of view of something that happened in history, but from the point of view of this is the consequence of a people rejecting God and, and being scattered and then persecuted. And going. one of the, <clears throat> the things that to me was most impacting just even talking about impacting us to go into the memorial to the children that were killed. Over a million children, you know, under the age of 13. And you go in there, and you, it's kind of strange sort of thing. You sort of go down through into a tunnel, and you go through a tunnel, and then you come into a room which is completely dark. It's just a black circular room. And then when you go in there, it's got these thousands and thousands of little lights. And every light is, represents one child. And then when you go in there, they have a voice is reading all the time the name and the age and where the child came from. So when you go in there, you walk around, it's very, very silent, and someone is remembering by name each of the children. It's, it's, it's just even talking about it. It's very emotional. And you realize this is the consequence, the outcome of a people abandoning God's purpose for their life and a blindness coming over the nation than being scattered to all the nations. But the most wonderful thing is to realize that after 2,000 years to see we are in the hour when God is fulfilling his promise, which he spoke all through the Bible, Ezekiel 36, many other places, that he would gather them from every nation and bring them back to their own land, restore their language, restore the people, restore the land, restore the financial system, and then cause them to be a blessing to the nations of the earth. So quite, it's just impacting, but the, the part that impacted me, uh, there's many things impacted, but the, the thing today I want to really keep focused around is the call that God puts on your life and us is not to be treated lightly. When you look at the outcome for the Jews of ignoring the call, you, you go into those places with the fear of God because you realize God is not to be trifled with and his call is incredibly important. Let me read to you a, a verse. I'm going to share a couple of verses. Uh, in, verse, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says many things. In verse 9 is the one verse I want to pick up. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Jesus Christ before 
time began. I want to just open up a few thoughts just around this. He has called us. God extends a call to every person here, every person in our city, every person in our nation. God extends a call. That word call means to call aloud or to extend an invitation by name. God is inviting you. So when it says he is calling you, God is speaking to you, calling you, and inviting you. Now, it's not just any kind of call. It's an unusual call. The word calling means an invitation to a feast. It's an invitation to embrace God and his purpose for your life. So he says he is calling. He has called us with a holy calling. I don't know whether you've stopped to think about that. Because we know that God has called us. And when you say yes to Jesus Christ, then you become part of those people who are called. But you are called, there's a calling, or the word calling we call a vocation. You are called for something. You're not called just to give your heart to Jesus, and that's the end of it. You're called to fulfill a calling upon your life. A vocation. It's something you give your life to do. Is something, this is why I'm here. My calling is why I'm here on this earth. My calling is what God designed me to do. Therefore, I should discover it and give my life to it. Not something casual. Church was never something about, I come to a meeting. Church is about being a people who are called... And have something to live for. Have a purpose to live for. A life to live. And notice this, it's called a holy calling. So the calling on your life, God says it's not a little thing. It is a holy calling. That means it is special. It's it's set apart. It's something uniquely ordained for you. It is holy. It's not something to treat lightly. It's not something to think it's nothing. It's not something to overlook. It's not something to, to disregard. It is a holy calling. You have a holy calling on your life. The challenge is really whether you'll treat God's call as something precious, special for you uniquely and fulfill it. Or whether you will neglect it. If we neglect it, we run great risks in our life and for the next generation. When I looked at the Holocaust Museum, I saw the consequences of people neglecting their calling. They neglected it. And this is the consequence of that. That is a lesson to learn from. When I walked in, all the names of these children, innocent children, the consequence of someone neglecting their calling. The conflict. It's all about the calling of God. So the word holy calling is the same word used to describe the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is uniquely set apart for a particular work, just like Jesus was at the Father. So don't take it lightly. It's something to devote your life to. What has God called you to do with your life? That is holy. That's not something to let someone else tell you. That's something you're responsible to discover. 
because it's special, it's unique, it's holy. God calls it holy. So we become part of a church. We become part of a group of called out people which have a holy calling on every one of our lives. And together as we do our part, we emerge individually and as a group and have impact in the world, which is what God intended. We're to be a light. We're to be a, a light, a city in, on a hill that can't be hid. So notice that it says, He has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. It's, nothing, it's not because you're gifted or smart. It's not because you did anything great. The, this, this calling began before time began. So the call on your life, God thought it up before the world even came into existence, before time ever began. God thought about you, planned you, designed you, made you uniquely for a purpose. So notice what it says, and it's His purpose. I find a lot of people get confused about that, and they just want to follow their own dreams. Now, there's an element of truth that you do need to discover what God has written in your heart, because that's part of His calling. But it's never about doing our own thing and building our own thing and building our own ministry. This is His calling. It's His vocation for our life. Therefore, not only are you responsible to discover what it is, you're going to be accountable for Him, for that call to Him. Whatever it is, it's different for every person. So, called according to His own purpose and grace. So, in other words, God has a purpose uniquely for your life and a grace or anointing to empower you to do it. If you try to copy someone else's calling, you're going to have no grace to do that because you're not called to be that person, do what they do. You're called to be you and discover how unique you are and to fulfill your uniqueness in and among a company of people called the called out people with the callings on their life. People in church treat one another rather badly because they don't see that everyone here has a holy calling on their life. Our job is to help you grow and discover a way to fulfill that calling. Your job is to discover the calling and position yourself where you devote your life to what God called you to do. It's a teacher or musician or artist or salesman or whatever it is. That's something that you've got to discover. It's your holy calling. So, it's called according to his purpose. Here's a question. What was God thinking about when he made me? Well, some people think he was thinking he was having a bad day. <laughs> it was a very bad day, and then he thought of me. That's why I've turned out like I am the way I am, because he was having such a bad day. People were messing up all over the place. Then he thought of me. He thought, oh. No, 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 that's not. What, what's God thinking about when he made me? In other words, the purpose is a reason you have for being here. If you don't know why you're here, then you don't know how to conduct your life in a way that will honor God. You'll just do what seems the best at the moment. Or you'll succumb to the pressure of everyone around you. You have a holy calling. So every person's designed to fulfill some purpose, and God has an assignment. He's planned you to fulfill it before time began. What is your purpose? Your responsibility is to discover it. It's not about someone telling me what I should do with my life. Please tell me what to do. That's not taking ownership and growing up. 
You discover what God called you to do. Now, when the church begins to understand this and every person discovers what God called them to do and embrace it as a life calling, then amazing things can happen because you start to release God's grace and life in you and through you to do something in the community, something for God that no one has ever seen. And that's the, that's the beauty of it. Because you're unique, you can be creative. We either want someone to tell us to do what to do, or we want to just do our own thing. And doing our own thing means I'm actually doing what I feel good about rather than actually discovering what God has called me to do with my life. People say, how could you just give up a church like that? So it's easy, because God called me to do it, and then he called me to stop doing it. What's hard about that? Don't you understand? That's how I've always run my life. When he says, stop doing it, you stop doing it. When he says, start doing it, you start doing it. It's actually, Jesus said, put it this way, he said, I, don't, I haven't come here to do anything on my own bad. I've come here to fulfill the Father's purpose for my life. Now think about this. His ministry and his purpose was three years. And he had his bit to do. And it was part of a much bigger deal. And you have for your life your bit to do. And it's part of a much bigger picture. So don't get all caught up in you and your bit to do. Get caught up in God in the big picture. When you get caught up with God in the big picture, then your bit finds its place much more easily. Otherwise, it's all about you and you use everyone you can to get ahead and promote yourself and to get some place where I've got some ministry. How ridiculous is that? How ridiculous is that? So a lot of people say, well, I don't want my purposes. They ask, what's my purpose? He doesn't reply. Well, it's probably because you're not ready to embrace it. You need to grow up. That's why we have a church, to help you grow so you are prepared and ready to embrace what God's called you to do. And usually what happens is God gives you something little. Oh, well, I've got a call of God on my life. What is your call? Oh, it's to be important. Well, that's where a lot of people are coming from, to be noticed, to be accepted, to be rich, to be powerful. I don't know. You're not called for anything. Greatness in the kingdom is found by serving. <coughs> Who can you help? Who can you reach out to and make their life better? That's how you advance in the kingdom. I was interested to see this ministry that got national prominence. You know how it got national promise? Prominence? They didn't hire a spot on a TV set and say, look what we're doing. They didn't get a website and put up, look what we're doing. They found a Sudanese woman who was in need and helped her. And then another one and helped them. And then tried to stop them fighting one another. And then helped another one, helped them. In the end, they had a whole group of them. And the lady was saying, she said, I had no idea what to do. We were just doing what we could and praying hard and trying to learn on the way. And then one day, the prime minister's wife heard about them and said, I want to come and visit. He came and visit. She came and visited. They took her to the church to show the community. She wasn't all that interested in that. She saw what they're doing, and she made it prominent. She put it out in front of the whole nation what this group of people are doing. We had two young guys there, and uh, they said, Man, we, we, we really young, one's really quiet. And what they were doing is they were doing, just doing some little video clips and uh, doing a little bit of A-B stuff. And the guy said, man, I think we should do this. We should go on the street, and we should set up videoing people and see what happens. And so they had up this thing, and they, they go around to people, uh, to Jewish people, and they say, hey, did 
did you know about the forbidden chapter in the Torah? Because every week they have an, a, a, a certain reading that they do, but there's one chapter they never read from, and that's Isaiah 53. And she said, forbidden chapter? No, I didn't know there was a forbidden chapter in the Torah. Oh, yes. The religious leaders have ensured it's excluded from the weekly readings. Do you want to know what's in it? Oh, I would like to know what's in it. So they get it out. They say, read it. And they get the person to read it. In Hebrew. Whoa. So what do you reckon it's saying? And they got them to say what they thought it was saying. And then they got a bit of a dialogue going around. They said, who do you reckon it might be? Yeah. And many of them said, that sounds like Jesus. They said, it is. That's why they don't want you to hear about it. And they, many of them are there to the Lord. I posted up a video clip that these guys are doing it. It's quite touching, really, quite clever how they do it. Very, very clever. But they're creative. They found a way no one had ever thought of. Now they've got about 1.5 million people following them. Just a creative idea. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. So as you put your hand or whatever God's called you to do, then His grace starts to emerge. But your choice is to respond to the call of God and to devote yourself to growing and preparing yourself for that thing he's called you to do, whatever it is. Think about that. So just thinking about our church background, let me just share a few things and I'll close off on this. When, when we came here, I didn't come here out of good idea. In fact, I pleaded with God, I don't want to come to Hastings. I grew up in Napier. I've never liked Hastings. And always looked down on Hastings. And never did it enter my mind I would ever think of living here. And I've been to the church and had a look what's there. And it's full of debts and it's depressed. And it's about to go bankrupt. I do not want to go. I mean, crying. I, mean, I don't want to go there. I'm happy where I am. Aren't you glad I made the decision to say yes? Yeah. See, it's not about feeling good or being happy. It's about... What has God called us to do? And so we came here. I didn't know what to do. But I knew some things, a little bit. So one thing we need to do, we need to rack up the worship. Because you need the place filled with the presence of God. Because that's what we're called to do. No presence of God, no love of God. What, you can't call it church. It's just something. So we filled the place. We worked on the music. Bruce came up and Duncan came up. We worked on that. Man, it all changed. God began to add. The atmosphere all shifted. And we need to love people. So let's have fun and enjoy one another. And, and so the, 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 the room was a very holy room. And no one, he wants sort of go quiet when they went in. So let's throw the windows open. We'll bring a barbecue in. We brought two in. And we'll have a party in here. About that part. So we just did things to shift it. And then began to listen to God. And God began to speak. And I want to share with you just uh, about six things that God spoke to me about. And you see, it's not about my own ideas. It's about what I'm here to fulfill a call of God. And when you do, it has effects you never thought. Now, we're not all called to preach. called to do something, though. So the first thing was, God just, we, we, I felt God speaking of the need to open our lives to the whole area of Luke 4.18, the ministry of healing the brokenhearted, deliverance, the area of faith and believing for the supernatural and miraculous. And we gave ourselves personally to that. We gave ourselves to prayer, gave ourselves to inputting, gave ourselves, we paid a price to give ourselves to open up and get healed ourselves, to get delivered 
Man, I got delivered that year. It was a glorious year. God brought someone in, they said, and, and they said, we think you've got a spirit. You need to be delivered. I said, I reckon I probably have got heaps. Go for it. And so well, we paid a price over a period of time. And then we began to pray. And then God moved. And there was a wave of the Spirit came. Oh, glorious. Oh, those who were there. Oh, you're just thinking about it gets you excited. God's power would come into the meetings. Stuff would happen every week. And one night I was being clever, but I was embracing calling. And God showed up big time. Great stuff. And what we got there... And embracing that is taking me all over the world. See, you've got no idea when you embrace what God called you to, what he'll open up ahead. You've got no idea how many people he wants to influence through you. And it's waiting for you to embrace the call of God, do the preparation and hard yards with him, serve in the little things and let him open the doors for you. And so it it happened. And then uh, as a result, within about a year, we started to develop global missions. So the first thing was the ministry of healing deliverance. Now there's a need all over the world emerged for it, everywhere. Traumatized people needing help. We began to develop global missions. And so we started, and I looked, I put a few things down. We started to send people out, teams out, Tonga, Rarotonga, out to New Zealand, planting churches. Went up to Asia, went to Singapore, Malaysia, went to Cambodia, Indonesia, Thailand, China, Ukraine, Israel, USA, Pakistan, India. I mean, there's heaps of places that came out of here. Out of one person saying, God is calling to do this. Let's do it. See, you don't know the impact of your life on others until you say yes and keep saying yes and positioning yourself for God to work through you. From that, developed the global missions and uh, areas of church planting and uh, leadership training, developing people. And that started in about 1987, has continued ever since. Then we did the building here. In about 1991, the Soviet Union collapsed and the wall started to come down. Now, I, didn't know, I saw that in the news. What I didn't realize was that the way was now open into the hearts of the people that had sat in darkness. And I was listening to God, and I said, Lord, what can I do for Jim? You know, Jim's really built this building here, and he's, he's come here. He's poured out his life at the building and raised up a team of people to help. And, and we've got the building now. What can I do to just put back into him? And the Lord said, send him to Ukraine. I said, right on. I said, Jim, I said, look, uh, I want to send you to Ukraine. God's told me you to go to Ukraine on a missions trip. First missions trip opened up by Christian Outreach Center movement into Ukraine. So he went up there, and nothing great, except some young people come up and said, we see what is on your life, and we like it. Would you come and minister to us? And so he said, I'll do it. And he went there, and there was a room of about 20, 30, 40 people, somewhere around about that, prophesied over them all, ministered to them, loved on them all, released the prophetic word into them. They asked him, come back. And he went back another year. We, we raised the funds, went, went back. Now there's 200. That church grew, became over 3,000. And, and from that, he went, every time he went up, churches got planted into Uzbekistan, all kinds of places. Now, although he was the, the front runner, that's what God called him to do. I couldn't do what he did. He did the hard yards. But it was because he was part of a community that it could be done because he couldn't do it on his own. And that's the, that's the goodness of a church is that 
Maybe we don't all do this and that, but together we can do something that can have huge impact. And so I honor all the people of Bay City who sacrificed to put the building up and to send them up there. We put hundreds of thousands of dollars into Ukraine and we got it just when the doors opened, just when God was moving. See, a lot of it is to find, Jesus said, what I see the Father doing, I do that. And so most of what we've done is been seeing what God is doing and do that. I'm not that smart that I can come up with this big, long plan. I come, my smartness is, God, what do I do next? Which is kind of what Jesus did, you know. He kind of knew the mission he had and, and uh, what he was wanting to build, but he needed to listen to the Father. Then we, the next thing, of course, with that, we, we planted churches there that have grown. And then what I hadn't realized was, of course, is that there's a thing called Aliyah, which is the, it's to ascend. It's the immigration of Jews. And of course, the Jews have gone through persecution, been scattered. In 1948, we know that there were, there were, some, there were some movements of Jews in the uh, pa- late part of the 18th century from uh, Eastern Europe, and then early part of the 19th century, 20th century, sorry. And then in 1948, they started to come. And then when this war came down in Ukraine, suddenly people feel they want to go to Israel. They want out. They weren't able to get out before, now they get out. So... Out of these people that we planted a church, young men got saved, and God put it in their heart to go to Israel. So Jim followed them up there and helped start churches up there. I think three churches got going up there. Now understand, it's, it's not that we're that smart. It's just catching what God is doing and paying the price to be with it to do it. It doesn't really matter what anyone else thought. I ended a lot of trouble with the leadership of the movement I was a part of in those days because they wanted us to put their name on everything. I said, no, it's not our work. We don't put our name on anything. This is God's work. We're just here to serve these people, catch what God is doing, and work with Him. We're the servants of the Lord. I will not put the name on any of these churches. And so the churches began to grow. So there was that, that migration. So we, we caught these waves of the Spirit. We caught the wave of the Spirit in 1993. God was about to pour His Spirit out in the world. And I felt in my heart, we need a fresh move of God. I felt God talking to me. We got Jill in, and we had that move of the Spirit from Toronto here at least a year, maybe two years ahead of it coming out in Toronto and breaking out into the world. We captured it, and that brought a release of anointing through a movement. Thousands and thousands of lives impacted just by a weekend of meetings that we held here. You don't know what your life could accomplish if you got a hold of what God's calling you and just do it. Don't worry about how little it looks. Just get to do it. I got a big caning over that whole thing of fighting Jill in, but I didn't care. I just said, man, I want God. I want God more than I'm worried about you. And they gave me a bit of a cane. I didn't worry about that. They don't worry about that. I want God. And, uh, and of course, then, now get this. Uh, we've caught these waves of the Spirit. And by listening to God and working with it, we've brought forth tremendous fruit. Well, a little while back, just before the Arab Spring. Now, right now, there's a huge turmoil right through the Islamic world. But before it began, God spoke about going up into Pakistan and planning a TV station there. And so this church raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, poured it in, sent missionaries up, a TV station gets started, and now millions of people are getting the gospel right at the key point when the Muslim world goes into turmoil and they're melting down everywhere and everyone is in turmoil and they're saying there must be something better than this. And there we are. We've got something happening 
Again, our name's seen nowhere except in heaven. That's the secret of it. If you don't care who gets the glory, you'll be amazed what you can get done. Okay? But if you want the glory, well, you'll have people fighting you all the way because they want the glory too. But if you don't care, you just want God to get the glory. So there's been church, all these things. So all of these were small things. They started small, but they became very big because they're part of the call that God was on it. Okay? So it's not enough to just be called and say yes. You need to embrace in your heart, this is my life purpose. And I will discover it and prepare myself for it and give myself to this. In the book of Revelation, it says there are a whole crowd with Jesus, a crowd of overcomers, and it said three qualities of them. Those who were with the Lamb were called. Who does the calling? Jesus. Okay. And they were chosen. Who does the choosing? Jesus. And they were faithful. Who does the faithful bit? See, you do. So God can call you, and when you start responding to him and walking with him, you become chosen by him to fulfill a purpose, but you choose whether you're faithful. You can bury your gift, or you can activate your gift. In this chapter, the the verse that we're reading now, Paul is writing to Timothy saying, activate your gift. Don't be intimidated. Don't let the people intimidate you so you can't be who you are and do what you're called to do. Timothy, stir up that gift. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. Don't you be intimidated. Don't you be intimidated. Don't let fear rob you of stretching out and using what God has given you to bring benefit and blessing to others. Don't be intimidated. And he said, and don't be ashamed when you face resistance and opposition and misunderstanding and people talking about you. Don't you be ashamed. Learn to suffer hardness for the sake of the gospel. That's what happens. If you're going to follow Jesus, not everyone's happy about that. And they'll let you know. So there are some flows, of course, that God is on. One is God is on Israel to restore Israel. And it will inevitably become the place of massive global conflict. It already is growing that way. Secondly, God is on global missions. Thirdly, God is on revealing his glory. And of course, you can spiritualize it, but at the end, it comes down to me, it seems, to two things. In Habakkuk, it says, the whole earth shall be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So if you think of the verses associated with what I've just shared, Ezekiel 36, I will gather my people from all nations. So God's doing it, and we're in the hour he's doing it. For the first time, churches are established in Israel, first time in 2,000 years of history where Jew and Gentile and Arabs, and, and Arabs worship together and flow together and have become the one new man. God is restoring the nation, just like he promised he would. We're in the day it's happening. Second thing, global mission. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, he said, the gospel must be preached to every nation or ethnic group, then the end will come. So the gospel has to go out. Global missions, church planting, teams going out, sharing the gospel, training, equipping, all of those things are vital. And then finally, he says in Habakkuk, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. How will that happen? I've no doubt that media will be a big part of that. What will it look like? Well, it's hard to know what it looks like, but I reckon it would look like at least two things. One is the supernatural life of God and the giftings and power of God flowing through ordinary believers. See? The glory of God. Christ in you is the hope of glory. So you carry a portion of God's glory now. 
You've got to activate what you have, develop what you have, and build the kind of life that God can work through you. The second is, I believe that the glory of God is his nature, so the supernatural nature of God, but also his character of mercy to the poor and the broken, the, the prostitutes, the drug addicts, the child abused, uh, the, the people trafficked, all of that. I believe that we will see massive flows from the church of the supernatural life and power to restore and heal the brokenhearted and to minister to the poor in our community and in the communities beyond. That, to me, is where I see God is on. So if, we tap, if you tap into that, that's where the flow of life is. And I've stayed tapped into that. I've stayed all my life, stayed tapped into Once I found it and touched it, um, that's what I'm called to do. I will do it. And God is increasing the doors. So let's just finish then. What will you do with the call and gift of God on your life? Will you hide it? Some people hide it. I would say in a church this size, there are people hiding their talents, hiding their gifts, bearing them. You will give account to God for it. The, the Matthew 25, very clear. The man with the one talent came and he said, what have you done with it? He said, oh, I've survived. I'm a survivor. I will survive. He said, well, this is never about surviving. This is actually about bringing forth fruit. What fruit did you bring forth out of the giftings and talents and things I put into your life? What fruit came out? Tell me what fruit. That's what God is looking for and will ask every person here who's responded to Christ. What fruit have you brought forth? It's quite, you're going to face that question one day. Everyone will. I'm saying, God, I want to be more and more fruit-bearing. He said, will you abide in me and do what I tell you to do? See? Paul urges Timothy, stir up the gift. Don't be ashamed. Don't be intimidated. Don't let anything stop you. Give yourself to it. Make it a life purpose, and then you'll profit. You can't do this casually. It becomes your life. In Ephesians 4, verse 1 and 2, it says, Walk worthy of the calling that you were called. I'll just read it to you, and then we close up. In Ephesians chapter 4, this is very powerful because it really brings around what it looks like for every one of us. Ephesians chapter 4, I beseech you as a prisoner of the Lord, walk worthy of the calling wherewith you are called. You are being called by God. You choose whether you are living a life that reflects value of that call. Walk worthy of it. What does that look like? He explains it. With humility. Serving heart, with gentleness towards people, with long-suffering, the ability to endure the crappy stuff that people send your way, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. So essentially, he's saying this. It's what you do. Are you bearing fruit? Are you bringing forth fruit? What fruit are you bringing forth? It's not too late. Let Jesus prune your life. Get reconnected to him. Start fruit bearing. Fruit bearing. It's also about how you do it. The character, patience, humility, gentleness, meekness. And it's also about your connectedness to a body of people. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. It's never about my ministry. But listen, if you run off and build your ministry at the cost 
of being part of a body, you disqualify yourself. We need to be part of a family. Endeavoring. It's a work to do that. To keep what God gave us. We are one. We are one. We are one. You know, the church Jesus wrote this to is made up of Arabs, Jews, people from every nation. It's a work to keep connected when you can easily fragment over all kinds of reasons and issues. God says, stay together. Keep the unity. Develop the character of Christ and bring forth fruit. It's not just for me. This is for you. Every one of us. You are sitting next to a person with a holy calling. They need your help to fulfill it. Perhaps you'll be an encourager. Perhaps you'll be a comforter. Perhaps you'll be a counselor. Perhaps you'll practically serve. Perhaps you'll work in some little area that God gave for you to do. Find what you're called to do. Front up and say, here I am. I want to put my hand to it. Help me to grow so I become the kind of person that bears fruit. Help me to build relationship with Jesus because I can't do it without him. Let me close our eyes. What a great day lies ahead. We're just getting warmed up. 28 years, hundreds of thousands of lives impacted. What does God want to do in the next 28 years? Amen. And what will your part be? Is there anyone here who's never made the first step of receiving Jesus Christ? You're living a life disconnected from God, just walking your own way. Today would be a great day to say, I want to connect with God. It's very easy. It means acknowledging that there's a part of your life empty, which the Bible calls sin, just doing your own thing, living your own way. And recognizing Jesus died on the cross for that so you could have life and be forgiven and be connected. Changed on the inside. Born again, the Bible calls it. How great that would be for you to have that change. Is there anyone at this place where they're ready to make that decision to receive Jesus? I want to give my life to Jesus become a Christian. Would you raise your hand right now? I'd love you to do that. What a great day to give your life to Christ. Anyone right at that point of making that decision? Just raise your hand. Let me see. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe others here today, and perhaps you realize you haven't really discovered the call of God, but you're saying, God, here I am. I want to align myself and commit to growing. That means praying, reading the Word of God, connecting with other believers, serving somewhere, letting people speak into your life to help you. Perhaps some of you have once embraced a call of God in your life and now you've fallen by the wayside. Who knows what happened or who did what that caused it to happen? It doesn't really matter who did what that caused this problem. What matters that you follow Jesus. Peter said about John, Lord, what about him? Jesus said, none of your business. You follow me. So my question is, are you following Jesus today? Pursuing to the best of your ability, discovering what he's called you to do, and doing it. If you've disconnected in any way, this would be a great day to present yourself back to the Lord and say, Jesus, I am responding to your call on my life.
I don't fully understand it, but I'll position myself so revelation will come to me and I might know the hope of my calling. If that's you, why don't you make your way to the front? We're going to pray with you right now. Just come. People today know I need to respond again to God's call in my life. Become discouraged, disheartened, I've fallen away in some aspect of it. I've felt defeated in some part of my life and, and I've disconnected from God. Why don't you just get out of your seat and come to the front and let us just pray with you. Others may say, well, I need to rededicate my life to him. I've, I've got lots of other things have taken over and I don't live with purpose. I just live from day to day, week to week. Whatever it is, let's just all stand together, shall we? And let's just flow into a final song. Stay on afterwards and connect with one another and take someone home for lunch or go and have a coffee with them. But people who'd like to just say, Jesus, I hear you calling me and I'm saying yes. Amen. Would you come? Come now. I think there's a lot of people once walked boldly in the call of God and say, Jesus, I need to come back to you. I need to come and embrace that call and let go of some of the other things. If that's you, would you come? Just come. Come. There's a number of people. Just come. Thanks very much. Just come. You know, this morning, uh, just as I was speaking with the musos before, God gave me the very same scripture that came out today, that God has called us with a holy calling. It's the exact same Exact same scripture. Me and Dad never talked about it beforehand, and the same scripture came out again. So I believe that God is really, really on this today. today. So I would encourage you today, right now, why don't you respond? God is here moving, God is here speaking to us. Why don't you respond to Him today? Come on, let's just close in worship, and if you feel like you need to come up the front, you just come up the front. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're a living hope. Your prayer.